you may have realized that being healthy feels different than it did in the past now that you're over 50. If you want to maximize your health potential but don't have time to read through overwhelming pages of Google links, this is the show for you. Welcome to Healthy Tips After 50. We love doing the research, finding solutions, talking to health experts, and learning what works and what doesn't. Now, your host. She spent the last 25 years dedicated to feeling her best and is here to share her best findings with you, Susan Rosen. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Susan Rosen. And today, I have some information that I found from some British um, journals, medical journals, of a couple of studies that I thought were pretty interesting. One of them had to do with um, cruciferous vegetables and, and the vegetable intake showing how it is inversely associated with abdominal aortic calcification in elderly women. I will explain that as I go through about the study. But for those of us that are older, let me start by saying that the people that they were studying in here were, they were all women over 70 years old, and the average age was 74.9, so close to being 75. In the abstract from the study, what they say is, we have, this is a quote, we have previously shown that higher intake of cruciferous vegetables is inversely associated with carotid artery intima media thickness, which essentially talks about the carotid artery and the thickness of that artery. And so to further test the hypothesis that an increased consumption of cruciferous vegetables is associated with reduced indicators of structural vascular disease. Vascular disease is blood vessel. In other areas of the vascular tree, they aimed to investigate the cross-sectional association between cruciferous vegetable intake and extensive calcification in the abdominal aorta. Now, aortas are our body's largest blood vessels, and this had to do with the aorta in the abdomen, which is a very important part of our body and also has to do and is around where the gut is. And as we are now learning more and more that the gut microbiome actually controls more of our bodies than our brain does. But that's for another day. So as I said earlier, dietary intake was assessed in 684 older women from a previous study. They looked at cruciferous vegetables that included cabbage, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, and broccoli. The mean age, as I said before, was 74.9, and the median cruciferous vegetable intake was about a quarter of a cup. And so for this, it was those with the Actually, I take that back. It was 28.2 grams per something. I don't know what the D stands for. So the 
But those with higher intakes of cruciferous vegetables, which was more than a quarter of a cup, were associated with a 46% lower odds of having extensive AAC, which is the abdominal aortic calcification, in comparison with those with lower intakes. And the total vegetable intake in each of the other vegetable types were not related to the extensive AAC. So it didn't matter how much more than the quarter cup they ate, they only needed the quarter cup. It says this study strengthens the hypothesis that higher intake of cruciferous vegetables may protect against vascular calcification. And I actually saw this study written up in another newsletter, which I thought was interesting. And actually is where I started the going down the rabbit hole on this. And in that one, they explained that, um, that calcified aortas, research shows that people with calcified aortas are more likely to have a heart attack or stroke. So that's why this is so important. It's because of that calcification that leads people to have a more chance of having a heart attack or a stroke. So I don't know about you, but a quarter of a cup of cooked chopped broccoli is not very much for what we eat here in this household. We eat a lot more than that on an average day. So that's something that seems to me is pretty easy to do with such a huge impact to your health, particularly as you start getting older. This next study, which was from March of this year, is a actual, actually a review study, and it's on nutrition and gut health and the impact of specific dietary components. So this review looks at evidence that specific food components may have important impacts on health that are not picked up and included by common dietary advice, such as the quote unquote five a day or eat more fiber. And mechanisms involved may include direct interaction with the lining of the gut or an interaction with the microbiota, which is also known as the microbiome and is better known, I think, as the microbiome, at least over here. So the five a day drives from the fruit and vegetable content of a typical Mediterranean diet, which we have talked about, I know I certainly have here on the podcast, and is seen by the majority of people in the medical profession as being the best kind of diet to provide the highest level of health for everyone. So adherence to a Mediterranean diet that has an estimated 400 grams per day of fruit and vegetable content in it, correlates with reduced all-cause mortality, but is unclear how much of its benefit derives from fruit and vegetables. There is even less evidence to answer, quote, what counts toward my five a day, unquote. Official advice is that fruits and vegetables eaten for their starch content, such as potatoes, yams, cassava, and plantain, which are a type of not-so-sweet bananas, don't count 
But others, such as parsnips, that are not staple starch sources do count. So it gets kind of confusing, I think is what they're trying to say here, as to which counts for what. This review discusses evidence that plantain pectin, and also pectin from broccoli, but not leeks or apple, interacts directly with the gut lining, blocking adherence and translocation of E. coli and other potentially pathogenic bacteria. This beneficial, quote, contrabiotic, as opposed to an antibiotic effect, is specific to some but not other soluble fibers. Pectins are rapidly fermented in the colon, but may plausibly be protective against Crohn's disease and colon cancer affecting the terminal ileum or proximal colon. So that's all the stuff that's down in or in around the colon. The quote, fiber is good for you, dogma, originated from observation of low colon cancer rates in Africa. Isn't that interesting? Understanding how diet impacts on colon cancer requires knowledge of its pathogenesis, which is how it, it develops and, and impacts the colon. Although the biological mechanisms are fairly well understood, the environmental factors are less clear. So there's growing evidence for a causative role for bacteria, um, a couple in particular, one of which is E. coli that we've all heard of. And these have different mechanisms for interacting with the epithelium, which again is the lining. One of those bacteria attaches via a specific lectin-glycon interaction, which probably requires altered lining glycosylation to be present. And interactions between these bacteria, the lining, and dietary fiber could therefore depend on presence or, or absence of specific fiber glycons. And the implication that not all dietary fibers are equal could explain contradictory results of studies that have investigated associations between fiber intake and cancer rate risk. So they go on to say that the fiber butyrate story also needs looking at and that it has been widely accepted that bacterial fermentation of fiber and consequent production of butyrate is beneficial. But now there's growing evidence that the response to butyrate is complex with low concentrations beneficial, but high concentrations harmful, particularly to stem cells and probably particularly if the mucosal barrier, including the mucus layer, has been breached. So that means it's been opened up somehow where these things can get in. And that this may be highly relevant in ulcerative colitis where the mucus layer is defective in active disease. They also talk a little bit about how the Western diet has quite a few emulsifiers and lab studies of two of them have actually shown that their ingestion increases inflammation and metabolic syndrome. And that lecithin, 
which is a really widely consumed emulsifier, hasn't been studied, so they can't say anything about that one. So interactions between dietary components and health are very complex, and adherence to a Mediterranean diet and coffee is the best advice that they, at this, at this, this research study group, it's the best advice that they can give at present, but more work is urgently needed to unpick, I love that, that's such a great name, Un word, unpick interactions between individual food components, the microbiota, microbiome, and the gut lining. So overall, it seems like they're starting to find more and more of the interactions that happen in and around the gut that really impacts all of our health. And so I think that it's really important for all of us to keep eating more of those vegetables, even though they're saying that the, the five a day and the fiber may or may not be exactly what we need and that they are trying to figure out which ones should we eat. But I think that, especially in light of the first study that I talked about, that those cruciferous vegetables, the Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, and why can I never remember um, broccoli, cauliflower, and cabbage, um, are what we should be eating much more of. So I had one other study, but I think I've gone long enough for today. And I will save the other study, which has to do with vitamin D and COVID-19, just to perk your interest. I'll be talking about that in a future podcast. So I will say at this point that I am not a doctor and that this is not to be construed as medical advice. If you are having any kind of medical issues, please call your doctor and get his, his or her advice. And if you're having a medical emergency, please call and or go to the emergency room. Other than that, all I can say is that I will be having some more interviews coming up. I'm trying to alternate between these um, much more specific health programs with interviews to kind of change things up and make it a little more interesting for all of you, my audience. I would be very interested to hear what you think of the interviews as well as where I've been going with some of the, the health podcasts. And other than that, I will also let you know that I am here for anyone who is feeling any sort of increased stress or issues going on having to do with either COVID or the economic situations or the political situations or just your own personal situations, please feel free to contact me and I have sessions, 30 to 60 minute sessions that I do pro bono for people to try and support them through this very unusual new normal that we're all living through and living in. So with that, I will say good night 
and I will look forward to talking to all of you next week. This has been Healthy Tips After 50 with Susan Rosen. To stay on the cutting edge of the most effective health strategies, subscribe to this podcast and let us know what you thought of the show with a comment or like on iTunes. Visit HealthyTipsAfter50.com for this episode's show notes, more resources, and free offers.